Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 1, 15 through 18. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Well, good morning, church family. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join us in John chapter 1. If not, we'll have some verses on the screen. Well, I don't know what your experience has been, but it seems like when it comes to God, everyone has something to say. Whether it's your parents, your professors, your friends, or Kanye West, right? Everybody has opinions about God, about you know, does he exist? And if he does exist, what is God like? I mean, you can honestly get kind of lost in a sea of other people's opinions of what God is like. And I think if we were to ask like one sincere, like really good question, I think the biggest question we should be asking is not what does this person say or this person say, but what does God say? What does God say about himself? Who does God say that he is? How has God revealed himself to us? And if you've ever asked any one of those questions, what is God like? How has he revealed himself to us? Then John 1 and these verses, verses 14 through 18, provides a perfect and clear answer. And so that's where we're going to be today. But before we jump into the verses that that we have today, I I want to just go back and reread verse one, um, because Jake covered the first part of John one, and I want to grab onto something. And if you're new to Candeo, this is just what we do, is we just each week, our primary diet is that we're going to open the Bible, and we're going to read it verse for verse, walk through it verse for verse, and just let God speak, okay? And so last week, Jake started with this verse. I want to just remind you of this and highlight something and we'll jump into verse 14. But this is verse one of John chapter one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And John is using that title. I mean, the word, the word, the word. He, he uses it a bunch there, but he's gonna kind of move on, say some other things. And then he's gonna mention that title again in verse 14, where we pick up today, where he says, the word, Right, so he drops that, the word, the word, the word. But, but notice here, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then notice the difference here. The word became flesh. The same word that was in the beginning, the same word that was with God, the same word that was God became flesh. And what he goes on to say, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is meant to put into our minds um, like he set up camp among us. In the Old Testament, God came to dwell among his people when they set up the tabernacle. But the difference there was as he came to dwell, he was 
inaccessible to the masses. Right? There's this massive curtain that divided kind of where he was and where everybody else could get to. He was in a sense dwelling. But, but John's saying something's different here because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he adds, we observed his glory. John, who wrote this gospel, is saying, I could go personal on this one. I was an eyewitness of that glory. Just want to pause a bit. This is pretty amazing here. But God is crossing from heaven to earth, right? The creator and author of all things is stepping into the story. And the question you should be asking is, how did he do that? And he goes on to say, as we finish up verse 14, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. How did God, the creator and author of all things, step into the story? He did it by sending his son. He did it by sending his son. Now, when we see this phrase here, the one and only son from the father, and it's couched between the word glory and the phrase full of grace and truth, John is hoping that that jars to our minds an incident in the Old Testament where those same words are used. If you remember this story, it's back in Exodus 34, when Moses, who's just led God's people out of slavery, is pleading with God, saying, if I'm gonna lead these people, show yourself to me. Let me see you in your glory. And God's response is, um, I can't do that because no one can see me and live. But he goes, here's what we'll do. Moses, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tuck you back into like the crevice of a rock, into the, a, a crack in a rock. I'm gonna shove you back in there and I'll put my hand over your face so you can't see. And then I'll pass by in front of you. And as I'm passing by in front of you, I'll pull my hand away and you'll be able to see my back. And so everything goes as God promised. God passes by Moses. He removes his hand. Moses is able to see God's back. And as he's looking at God, he hears proclaimed these words. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. It was the glory that Moses longed to see. And what he heard was this proclamation that God is full He's abounding in faithful love and truth. Those same Hebrew words translate to Greek and into our language as grace and truth, full of grace and truth. The same God that Moses wanted to see his glory and could only get that version of a glimpse of it. The same God that's there in Exodus 34 has now become flesh, is dwelling among us, and John's going, and we saw it. The glory of the one and only Son of the Father, from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw it. We saw him. He walked among us. He ate among us. I slept beside him in the nighttime. And his name is Jesus Christ. I may be asking, okay, this whole question though of like, what is God like? Now you bring up Jesus. What qualifies Jesus to represent God? 
Okay, that may be a fair question. What qualifies Jesus to act as like God's representative? Let me just go back through some of the things we've seen so far in John 1 from last week and this week. One of the first things that qualifies Jesus to represent God well is that we learn in verse 1 is that the word was in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always existed. Jesus didn't start existence when he came as a baby. Jesus has always existed. He's eternal. And even in that, he has an eternal relationship with the Father. Verse 1 also says that the word was with God. Jesus has enjoyed eternal, rich relationship with his Father. I could add on to that, that Jesus is known as the Word of God. What you say, what we're talking about there, when Jesus is known as the Word of God, Jesus is God's self-expression. When God speaks, he speaks Jesus. Jesus is how God speaks. And an additional qualification, this would be the fourth one, is that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews 1 adds some language to this that I'm just going to borrow. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. This is the beauty of the incarnation and a massive stumbling block to uh, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons, right? So if you ever have like a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness come knocking on your door, or you go knocking on somebody else's door, and you find a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, or a Muslim, start here, start in John 1. Because they, they don't believe that Jesus is eternal. They believe that he was created. They don't believe that he's God. But as Christians, this is what we believe. We believe that God is one, yet eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and each person is equally and fully God. And yet God is one. If that's like blowing your mind, welcome to like the introduction of the Trinity. <laughs> this, is, this is what we talk about when we're talking about the Trinity, the triune God, three in one. God is one, eternally existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all three are equally God. And what we believe is that when Jesus came to earth, when God became a man, God wasn't simply changing forms. Maybe you've heard some people articulate this before. That's like, no, God is the same God, but he just changed forms. He's the father in the Old Testament. He's the son in the gospels here. And then he's the Holy Spirit now. It's like, no, no, no. When Jesus came to earth, he was walking in unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and had been sent on this mission We also believe that when Jesus came into our world, when God became a man, that he didn't cease to be God. He didn't give up his godness, if you want to call it that. That's, that's the profound reality of the incarnation, that God became a man. And in Jesus, he is both fully God and fully man. That's what drew the, the worship of, of shepherds and wise men into this tiny town, this, this place called Bethlehem, into a baby in a manger and left Mary in awe as the name that was pronounced over him was Emmanuel, God with us. 
Jesus is able to perfectly represent God, not only because he knows God, but because he is God. And that's just the start of where we're going to go today. That's just, that's just one verse, one verse in, okay? We'll pick up in uh, verse 15. John, it's going to get confusing. There's multiple Johns here, right? There's John who wrote the book, and then now he's referring, John is referring to another John, John the Baptist, and we'll get into him next week. But John, John the Baptist, testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I wanna draw your attention to that, that phrase there that we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Grace upon grace. The way I've, I've typically have read that is I think about grace upon grace like, like ocean waves. Have you been to the ocean, right? The thing that just like blows my mind about the ocean is it's like it does this all the time. The waves just keep coming. Water kind of pulls out and then another wave comes in. So when I read the phrase grace upon grace, one of the ways I've, I've always read that is just like God's grace is like ocean waves. It just keeps coming. can't exhaust it. And I think that's true. But actually in studying this out with the elders, I, I think there's more going on here than just that. So while that's true, while I think that the ocean picture is, is true, let me add something else. Because I think when I especially read verse 16 and verse 17 together, right, that we've all received grace upon grace from his fullness, fullness for, catch the word for, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I think what he's more trying to get onto is, is like grace in place of grace or grace on top of grace or grace in addition to grace. And here's why I think this is important because I think that often we can kind of pit these two things against each other. Like we say, okay, well, the law that came to Moses, that was bad. And when we're talking about the law that came through Moses, think um, like the 10 commandments, right? When Moses is on Mount Sinai and God gives the 10 commandments, you know some of these, right? Don't worship any other God besides me. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder, don't steal, right? Don't lie, don't commit adultery, those things. We could often look at the law, the law that came to Moses and go, the law is bad and Jesus is good. We really, when we're talking about a grace on top of grace, we need to hear that, that actually, no, the, the law was a gift of grace. Because one of the things that the law did is it revealed to us the character and nature of God, at least his holiness. And so when God gives the law, it's a beautiful grace gift because it helps us understand this is what God is like. He is holy. And it also reveals in that, that we are very different right? And that's a gift of, of grace. The law is good. It's just insufficient because it reveals who God is and it real, reveals how far we fall short. But it's insufficient because it can't save. 
God gave the law as a, as a grace gift to us. As Romans would say, the law was given so that it would shut our mouths. That we stop trying to justify ourselves and talk about how good we are and what we can do for God to make him love us and, and that we're better than those people. The law is actually supposed to just get us all to just shut up, close your mouth, and for us all to recognize that we've all sinned. And if all it takes is just one sin to become a sinner and completely different than God, then all have sinned, yes, and we all fall short of the glory of God. See, I think the way that we need to think about the law is the law is like a cancer diagnosis. The doctor comes in, sits you down, says, hey, the, the test results have come in. It doesn't look good. You got cancer. Those are very, very painful words to hear. But that's a good and loving thing that he just told you. Because now you're aware of the seriousness of the situation. Now you're aware that you have to do something. And the reason that I think we have to just slow down here, church, and have a quick conversation is I was just reading this past week uh, that a survey was done. I don't know if anybody else saw this article in the Gospel Coalition, but a survey was done by the Arizona Christian University and found out that 50%, almost 50% of Christians, I'm not talking about everybody else, I'm talking about like, like people in this room, 50% of Christians believe that good people go to heaven. I want to say this as clearly as possible and as lovingly and as gentle as possible. Good people don't go to heaven. If there's one thing that the law is trying to communicate is this fundamental reality that good people don't go to heaven because there are no good people. And if you're one of those walking around thinking that good people go to heaven and that's what you're telling yourself, that's how you're comforting yourself. Let me just tell you, that is a pervasive but dangerous lie and a false comfort. If that's the ticket you have in your hand, you've been scammed. It doesn't work. Because the law is the cancer diagnosis. It revealed that. And then Jesus comes along, this grace on top of that grace, also full of grace and truth, when Jesus comes along, here's what he tells you. I mean, if you want a second opinion, you don't know if you trust that first doctor and what they said about you and this cancer diagnosis, you go get a second opinion. Jesus goes, actually, here's the deal. It's way worse than you ever imagined. Yes, you have cancer, but it's way deeper than you ever imagined. Because what Jesus said is he said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you that anyone who's ever even hated somebody in their heart is guilty of pulling the trigger. He, he took it to that level. He goes, so if you've even hated somebody in your heart, you're a murderer. He, he also said, right, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that's even looked lustfully at a man or at a woman 
They're an adulterer. The law was a grace gift because it was the cancer diagnosis. Jesus comes along grace upon grace because he not only confirms the diagnosis, he's also the cure. He's not only the one that, that confirms, yes, it's true. Yes, the news is that bad, but there's a cure. So the whole point of the law was never meant that we could save ourselves, never meant that we could like try to live by the rules and figure out how to do life well enough that God would approve of us. The point of the law was to be this massive flashing arrow that would point to Jesus and say, you need him. And I just want to pause for a moment. Do you, do you feel your need for Jesus this morning? Like maybe as I talk about like murder or adultery, even breaking it down to like lust or hate, maybe you're like, oh no, those aren't my things. Like, can I just even ask you like, I mean, I could walk through each of those aspects of the law that came to Moses. Let me just ask you this simple question. Is there anything in your life that you have wrapped your joy around that is competing with you finding your joy in Jesus? Is there anything in life that has become so big to you, so important, so valuable to you that it, it fights for your affections and steals them away from your affections for God. Guys, we all, when held to the letter of the law, we're guilty. What Jesus came, when he came as grace and truth, is he came to communicate Good people don't go to heaven. It's guilty people who feel their guilt, who know their guilt under the law of God and then run to Jesus for the grace and truth that are found only in him. Because on the cross, the fullness of God's grace and truth shines most brilliantly for all to see. It wasn't just enough for God to send Jesus so that we could know him and know what he's like. God didn't want to just be known. He wanted to be reconciled in relationship to you. Put those two words in your mind. You want to talk about like what God is like. Take those two words, known and reconciled. God wants you to know him, but just as much he wants you to be reconciled in relationship to him. And then verse 18, this is how we'll close. He adds this, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself is God and is at the father's side, he has revealed him. Moses was able to see God's back. Isaiah came in and saw the Lord high and exalted, but he, all he saw was just the edge of God's robe. In Jesus, we get to see God plainly. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. If you want to ask like, well, is God kind? I'd say, look at Jesus. If you want to know, does God ever get angry? I'd say, look at Jesus. If you want to ask, well, how does God respond to a person who has some doubts? I'd go, look at Jesus. If you're wondering how God would respond to a person who just this morning realized that they've lived in rebellion against him and living in sin, 
how would God respond to such a person who just figured that out? Look at Jesus. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus. And I don't care what other people's opinions are and what they say. You know, one of the things that, that drives me nuts is I'll hear people take things like, like, oh, like to me, God is just love. And they're even quoting the Bible when they do that. That's, that's in 1 John, that God is love. But when John wrote those words, he wasn't meaning to define God, that God equals love. He's just describing God. To, to limit God purely to just love is to just rob him of so much of his just rich and deep character and all that he is. But we've got this nasty habit as human beings of constantly trying to take God and all of his greatness and break him down into bite-sized chunks that are more palatable to us and just fit what we want out of life. Because the problem is, if you stop yourself from saying, well, God's like this, God's like this, God's like this, and actually just let God speak. And you let God be who he is. One of the hardest parts about that is you may realize that as God speaks, he will disagree with you. There will be things that he says and things that he's about and things that he's against that you will be mad about. But understand this, there are no question marks around who God is and what he's like because Jesus has made him fully and finally known. At least what we can comprehend in our finite minds, right? There are aspects of God that are incomprehensible and, and bigger than that. But what can be known about God, what our minds can comprehend, Jesus has made him fully and finally known. You wanna to get to know God, get to know Jesus. If you wanna to get to know Jesus, open your Bible. Every page here screams his name. And one of the beautiful things as we're walking through John is John is saying, I was an eyewitness, I, I walked with Jesus. And he said, I, I could have filled up the whole world with books. In fact, the world isn't even big enough for all the stories that I could tell and all the things that he said, and I could write them all down, but the world isn't big enough for all those books. But I wrote these things down so that you as a church, you could sit down, you, you could pour over them, that you could learn about Jesus and that you'd realize, and this is why John wrote this book, is so that you would know Jesus, know that he's the son of God, Know that he is God and know that by believing in him, you can have life in his name. God has revealed himself. You can know what God is like, but he doesn't want to just be known by you. He wants to be reconciled in relationship with you through his work, through what he did for you on the cross. And his invitation today Believe, believe these words. Believe that Jesus is God, that he is who he says he is. Believe that you are a sinner and that these words that are written, written that, that tell like what God is about, 
if you've broken all those rules, realize that. That Jesus is God. You're guilty. But by placing your faith in Jesus and the blood poured out on the cross, you can become a child. A child of God. That's verse 13 of chapter 1. To those who did believe, he gave them the right to become children of God. You could walk in today an enemy and walk out a child. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Jesus, thank you for coming in the flesh to not only make God known, but then to be the God-man who would be able to offer a perfect sacrifice, holy and blameless. The author of all creation dying for his creation that's in rebellion. A people who are labeled as enemies, that's the people you came to seek and to save. Those who were lost. Those who this morning are realizing just now that maybe they haven't stiff-armed you hard, God, but they've been apathetic. They've let other things vie for their affections. They realize now the ticket in their hand is worthless. And I thought maybe after this, hope was in just being a good person, but God, they're now realizing that ticket's worthless and that Jesus, you're our only hope. And so Jesus, we cling to you with grateful hearts and celebrate you above all things. Thank you for not only making God known, but for reconciling us in relationship with you. We love you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.